feels a bit indulgent when you know <laughs> the sun comes out and it's a beautiful day and you think, oh, I'm going to hop in the car and yeah. go out and find some lizards. Welcome back to Scientists Are People Too, the show where scientists share their stories. I'm your host, Zoe Ford, and this week I'll be chatting to Associate Professor Lisa Schwanz. Lisa is a member of UNSW's Evolution and Ecology Research Centre and focuses on the ecology of phenotypic plasticity. Well, my name is Lisa Schwanz. I'm an Associate Professor in the School of Biological Earth and Environmental Sciences at UNSW. And I study animal ecology, uh, specifically how animals respond to changing environments, whether that's sort of due to natural change in their environment that they experience historically and regularly, or whether it's due to new change, say due to habitat alteration or climate change. So how did you kind of first get interested in animals, I guess? I was always interested in animals from when I was a kid. I always had lots of books on animals, and (laughs) I just didn't know exactly how to channel it. So I thought about being a vet or working in a zoo. I just got, I think, really inspired by thinking about working with animals out in the wild and watching them and understanding them in their environment. How did that progress to where you are now? I knew I wanted to do a degree in biology. And so when I was looking at universities to go to, I looked at what classes they had to offer. And I wanted to go to a good university. And I I really wanted just, I really wanted to see cool classes. So I found a university that I thought just had really great classes on offer. And that was University of California, Berkeley. And while I was there, I took classes in mammalogy, in animal behavior, genetics, evolution, and I just started to really like questions, sort of the deeper um, intellectual ideas behind ecology and evolution. What did you find most enjoyable about your degree? I really liked coursework and I I really enjoyed my, my teachers. I had just excellent um, teachers, particularly in sort of the mammalogy and animal behavior area. Um, and we had a number of field classes that I really liked as well, where we would take, we would either have a field trip every week or we'd take a weekend field trip. Um, and I just really enjoyed that, that hands-on side of things and just learning so much more about about all the topics. Yeah, it's so true. Having a hands-on approach really helps you learn so much more. I've found even my in my undergraduate, my field trips and field work have helped me learn so much. Yeah, because when you're out there, you just, you're sort of, there's immediate feedback. You're seeing things. Yeah. You're asking questions. You're seeing additional things. And there's just this constant sort of self-directed learning process that's hard to get when you're you know, when the textbook has a limited amount of information in front of you. Speaking of fieldwork, like, what does an average day of fieldwork look like for you? Yeah, well, not very much lately because <laughs> now that I'm a lab leader, I don't get out into the field very much. But um, it's often, because I've spent a lot of time studying mammals, it often means getting up at weird times of day. So getting up really early or just staying up all night long, (laughs) checking traps (laughs) and, you know, getting animals out of traps and measuring them and letting them go. Um, More recently, when I've been working with reptiles, it's actually a lot easier because reptiles are ectotherms um, and oftentimes diurnal, although not always, they 
tend to just be out when the weather is really nice and lovely. <laughs> really convenient. <laughs> yeah, so it sort of um, feels a bit indulgent when, you know, the sun comes out and it's a beautiful day and you think, oh, I'm going to hop in my car and yeah. go out and find some lizards. Right now we've been studying this um, lizard called a Jackie Dragon, which is related to a bearded dragon. It lives in sort of the more rural parts around Sydney and along the eastern coast of Australia. So we just go out and drive around and look for them and catch them. Yeah, I know. I see some of the things that researchers do in the field and so many of us younger scientists get so seduced by that. Like, yeah. oh, I just want to drive around and look for fun animals. That <laughs> yeah. sounds so good. So you mentioned earlier that you look a lot at phenotypic plasticity. How do you think this is an important area of study, especially in recent times? Yeah, so phenotypic plasticity means that an animal's traits, or what we call its phenotype in science, changes as a function of the environment. So that means that um, a given individual might change um, their behavior or the way they grow depending on their environment, like resources available to them. It also means that um, they might, an organism or two animals that are twins, let's say, might develop in different ways when they're really young, depending on the environment. So you put one animal in an um, aquarium with predators, you put an, another animal in a, an aquarium without predators, and the one in the aquarium with predators will develop like morphological spines to defend themselves against the predators. So to me, this is just really exciting. You know, we. I think it's easy to think of animals and plants as, you know, a stereotyped, this is what they do. Yeah, um, set in one way. and Yeah, and thinking of them looking in one way or acting in one way. So I'm interested in it purely from sort of a conceptual evolutionary perspective. What is it, you know, why is it that some animals are plastic and others aren't? What is it about the environment that would select over time for plasticity? But the other reason I'm interested in it is because it's um, one of the features of organisms that we think might help a population respond to environmental change in the future. So new types of change. So an animal might have this plasticity that it expresses over, you know, its regular change that it sees day to day. But as, you know, if we go and sort of bulldoze its trees or the climate warms, these are new types of environments for the animal. And the plasticity that they show might be one way that individuals and therefore populations can change and keep up with this new environment. So how do you think over time the majority of animals who are plastic will be affected by, say, different climatic shifts? We still don't really know. It's such an active area of research. Um, so there are two sort of opposite ends of the pole. The reality is probably somewhere in between, but the first is that animals that are plastic, let's cross our fingers that new environment, they express traits that are actually good for that environment. Wow. So do you think this could even be seen in humans, potentially? Yeah, it's an interesting question. <laughs> we, you know, we've got so many things that shield us from natural mm. selection these days. Um, but yeah, it is a it's an interesting question. I, I don't have the answer for it. <laughs> it's so also cool. possible that um, plasticity will actually impede 
animals responding to change because they might show the wrong yeah. trait or because they're so flexible actually selection can't act because you can't there's no phenotype linked to the genes underneath because the, the traits just keep changing yeah uh, okay so that's so a possibility are you finding there are certain traits that are more conserved than others do you find there are some say a group of lizards in different locations all tend to like kind of are moving towards the same area of trait like yeah well I've worked with reptiles that um, lay nests and their you know the temperature at which their eggs are incubated will influence whether they develop as male or female so this is seen in sea turtles a lot of aquatic turtles and some lizards so one thing we've been interested in is how nest temperatures influence survival, hatchling traits, but also the sex ratio. You can look at this across space, and we find that across latitude, say, a given species in a warmer climate will nest earlier. It'll lay deeper nests. It might lay shadier nests. So these sort of suites of traits that... Uh, that a mother expresses her nesting behavior these are all plastic traits so well we don't we don't actually know across geography if this is plasticity that's an open question i suppose yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do know within populations when we look at populations over time so i've done this with turtles that there is plasticity so that females will nest earlier lay shadier nests deeper nests um, in warmer years so you mentioned earlier that this might affect the sex ratios yes. of the offspring. What are the consequences for that, I guess, for species survivorship? Yeah. So the, the sex ratio is a really fundamental property of a population. And one thing we know is that if you have very few females, then there are very few babies being made. <laughs> so a heavily male-biased sex ratio is very bad for a population and can cause it to crash very quickly. So... Um, Tuatara, for example, produces will develop as a female under cool temperatures and a male under warm temperatures. So under climatic warming, Tuatara is in danger because there's going to be more and more males in the population. And this will probably, um, over time, just lead to less and less um, reproductive output, so fewer eggs being produced. And um, hope, <laughs> hopefully not, but potentially the... <laughs> complete loss of the, the populations and species. A lot of other animals actually make males at cold temperatures and females at hot temperatures. And we know less about the consequences of having too many females in a population. So the, um, if, you have, if you have a female bias sex ratio, the population can actually grow and expand because you have more females making more eggs. What we don't know is how many males are absolutely necessary to make sure all those females are fertilized. Right. I mean, is so, it 10% males are necessary? Is yeah. it 20%? Probably depends on their mating system. Yeah, it's probably unique to each animal as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of an interesting area of research because it's so many, you're looking at so many different variables mm. at the same time. Is that challenging? It is very challenging. Um, it's sometimes hard to know how to, how to tease them apart if you can, whether they should be teased apart. You know, whenever, yeah. whenever you find that two variables are... Um, sort of closely related, you don't know if that's because they're mechanistically linked or they're linked mm. in some biologically important way. But it's this flexibility, I think, that makes organisms so 
interesting that they have this ability to respond to the environment. But it is fun in that you get to, I get to work across ecology, evolution, physiology, developmental biology. It means I have to um, know a lot of different <laughs> literature and work, and I get to work with a lot of different people. Cool. So thanks for joining me. Um, Thank you for inviting me. That's okay. Um, yeah, so I hope you don't get too sick. Or... <laughs> <laughs>